Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. Verses 3 through 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to read verses 3 through 5. And uh, if, if it's your first time, let me kind of catch you up. Uh, we're in a series that we've been in for the last number of weeks. And by number of weeks, I really do mean number of weeks. We're on week number eight in this series. Uh, we're in this series that we've entitled Finding Freedom, Finding Freedom. And because I literally do not have the time today to recap and review the entire series and everything we talked about, uh, I would encourage you, if you haven't already, that you would pick up one of the study guides. Uh, we're making study guides for each kind of section of the study we're in. You can pick one up uh, as you leave. There's a table full of study guides. Uh, I would also encourage you to go to the podcast, go to the online church, and catch up if you've missed any of it. We're in this series called Finding Freedom, and the, the overall heartbeat or gist of it is this, that Jesus has come, John 10, 10, that we may have life and life to the full. God's desire for you and I is good, fulfilling, more than we can even comprehend life. I don't know if you've ever been told this before, but um, if you haven't, let me just encourage you, remind you, maybe tell you for the first time, God's actually way more interested in you having a fulfilling, joy-filled life than even you are. I know we think that nobody maybe cares about me as much as me, but that is not the truth. God, he's even more interested than you and I are in us having life and life to the full. And the Bible says thus, he has come. And part of his, his coming in his finished work, he has given to us or purchased for us in his finished work, complete and total freedom. John 8, 36, Jesus says this, whom the son has set free shall be free in Indeed. And we've been talking every week about how is it if Jesus has come that we may have life and life to the full, and if he wants me to be free, whether we're talking about sin or addiction, or we're talking about a mindset, anxiety, uh, frustration, depression, a certain path, whatever it is, if Jesus really wants me to be free, to be liberated, then how is it that I actually live that life in a sustainable, feet-on-the-ground, everyday reality kind of a way? And we've been talking about that. And if it's your first time, um, would, would you say it's a great week to join us because we're talking about today what I believe is the key. I know it's kind of a big statement for the beginning of a sermon that's kind of promising a lot, but I believe it is the key to actually living a life of freedom. See, because there's a lot of believers, a lot of Christians, maybe you fall into this category, maybe not, who you have the information or maybe even the revelation from God that I am currently free. Jesus said, whom the Son has set free shall be free indeed. Paul writes in the book of Romans that sin shall no longer have any control or dominion over me. So I am free. But so many believers, although they know they're free, they don't actually live in freedom. I think about someone maybe who's sitting in a prison cell and the door has been open, the price has been paid, they're, they're, they've been cleared, it's wide open, they can, they can walk, live in freedom and liberty, and yet they, they having the, the access to the reality of freedom, they choose to stay right where they are. And we're going to talk about today the key to, to maybe stepping out of that and living in a free way, sustainably, if you will, and that is the power of renewing our 
mind, the power of a transformed mind, the power of our thinking. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse three through five. That's where I ask you to turn. And uh, the apostle Paul is writing and the apostle Paul says this. He says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare, they are not carnal, but they are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that would exalt itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. I want to read that one more time and point out a couple of things that I I believe are keys for us to catch. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10, starting in verse 3 again, Paul says, even though we walk in the flesh, we do not war or battle according to the flesh. Even though we're living on this side of eternity, and even though our five senses are fully functioning and we are feet on this earth living in the flesh, the, the Bible says that our war, our battle, it's actually not in the flesh. In other words, it's not in our natural ability. Paul echoes this in Ephesians 6.12. He says, even though you know, we're, we're uh, uh, here, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but it's a spiritual thing. Her, heard a pastor say that it's impossible for you and I to win a spiritual war with our natural ability. This is what Paul writes in Galatians. Paul says, can I ask you a question? How is it that you've started in the spirit, but now you're trying to make yourself perfect in in your own ability? In in other words, how did you go from being completely dependent upon and relying on Jesus and saying, Jesus, I need you. And the moment you you fully receive that salvation, I'm forgiven of all of my sins and I'm I'm right. How is it that you've gone from, from needing God to trying to now make yourself perfect in the, in the flesh, in your own ability. And Paul goes, even though we're in the flesh, remember, we're not battling against flesh and blood. Verse four, he says this, for the weapons of our warfare, quick mention, all of us today, we are currently holding a weapon. We're gonna get here momentarily, but for many of us, it's actually sitting in our lap or it's an app on our phone, or it's collecting dust on a bookshelf or a coffee table somewhere. But all of us, we've been given some weapons. And the Bible says the weapons we've been given, Paul says, they're not carnal. They're not natural. But they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that would exalt itself against the knowledge of God. Now he's going to bring all these three things, strongholds, arguments, high and lofty thinking, and classify them into one, one word, bringing every thought, blues clues to where the battle actually is. Paul's giving us a blues clues to where the fight, where the, the war is actually raging. He says, bringing every thought into captivity. This, this phrase, bringing every thought into captivity, if I'm not a Greek scholar by any means, but if you look in the original language, it depicts a Roman soldier at spear point. Bring every thought by force into captivity and making it obedient to Jesus. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. The title of the sermon or the message today is simply this freedom in your mind. And we, we are talking about the key to living a life free, liberated, and it is finding freedom in your 
mind, freedom in your mind. Proverbs 23, 7, the Bible says, as a man thinketh, so he is. As a man thinketh, so he is. The key that we're honing in on today, it is a battle of thinking. Um, while, while we're on the subject, uh, have you ever been in a conversation, in an argument, uh, a debate, if you will, with someone, and midway through you realized that your tactic and your strategy is not going to work? Has this ever happened to you before? You're midway in a, we'll call it a debate because we're in church. We don't fight or argue. We're too holy for that. But a, a just a, a heated debate. And we're just, we're just going back and forth. And, and all of a sudden you realize that my tactic is not going to work. My wife and I, we have three children. And currently I had this revelation. It's about 6.30 in the morning. And uh, my two-year-old, P.S., if you know of a good support group for having a two-year-old, please forward that to my email address because uh, he's currently giving us a run for our money. But our two-year-old, he gets up 6.30 a.m. and he says, Dad, I want to eat ice cream. That sounds like an awesome idea. I'm all for ice cream. We just can't have it right now, bud. But, but, but why? And so maybe I, this is where I, I, I went wrong. Um, I begin explaining to him why we can't have ice cream in the morning. And come to think of it, while I'm explaining to him, I, I'm coming to a conclusion in my mind, you might have a point. I can't think of any legitimate reasons why this isn't a good idea. I mean, ice cream at 6.30s, ice cream at 4 p.m., like same thing, right? But this is, we're not doing ice cream. So talking about, you know, the nutrition, and I think I'm, I referenced our teeth, and while I'm saying it, I'm like, but it doesn't affect our teeth differently at 6.30 in the morning. This doesn't make sense. I, I think society's pulling, pulling a mask over us and saying we can't eat ice cream at 6.30 in the morning when we should be eating ice cream at 6.30 in the morning. It's called a frappuccino. We should do it. And... And I'm explaining to him, like, and, and most, most importantly, son, because when your mom wakes up, if you're eating ice cream, that's bad news for both of us. And, and at the end of my explanation, Graham says, but why? And so I, I explain all of it to him again. And he goes, but, but why? And I explain all of it to him again. And I think the third or fourth, but why, I realize this is a bad strategy. This is a bad tactic. Because what he needs at two years old is because I said so, go sit down or go talk to your mom. Those are your options. Because I said so. And, and I reference that because I think for a lot of us, what the Lord would help us to do today is realize that when it comes to, to finding freedom, to living in freedom, I think that the Lord would maybe help us to see that our current tactic or strategy is maybe not the right one. Um, I'm, I'm fairly confident. Um, I, I don't want to project myself or anything on anyone here, but I, I'm, I'm fairly confident that this is actually pretty relevant to every single one of us because whether you're a believer in Jesus currently or not, I think that all of us have areas of our life where I don't want to be like this. I, I don't like this pattern. I don't like this this thing, this thing I know is not healthy. This is not a, a, a reproducing healthy part of my life. And yet we find ourselves stuck in the cycle, although maybe we, we know somewhere that we have freedom in God. We don't really know what that means or how to do that. And Paul gives us, a, again, the, the blues clues. And he says, well, first of all, you have to realize, number one, if you're taking notes, that the battle that we are in, it's a battle of thinking. You can write this in every taking notes, but the mind, it is the main battlefield between good and evil. We have to settle, settle the issue right here, right now, that in life, we all live from our thinking. So Proverbs 23, 7 says, so as a man thinketh, 
So he is, because you and I, we live from thinking. And Paul in 2 Corinthians, he says, hey, remember, even though the battle you're facing, even though this area where you're trying to get free in, this area that you, you, you don't want to be like this and you don't want to live in this pattern, but he said, even though it seems, feels natural, your self-will and determination is not going to work. He said the battle, it's a, it's a spiritual one. And he said the, the, the weapons that we've been given, I, I just, I know we've already mentioned this, but the weapons we've been given, they're mighty in God for addressing our thinking. That's what he says, right? He says we've been given weapons that are mighty in God, but then he tells us the application of that weapon is to address our thinking. He says the weapons you've been given are mighty in God, and they're, they're mighty to address thoughts. That are, that are strongholds. What's a stronghold? Something that has, it's dug its heels in the ground and said, I am not changing my mind on this. This is the way I was raised. This is what I've been taught. This is my current experience. This is my past experience. This is the truth that I, that, that I hold to. This is my value. And I'm not going to move. Arguments. You ever been in an argument with someone that clearly you're right because you always think you're right? And clearly they're wrong because you're right and they're not agreeing with you. An an argument that is contradicting high and lofty thinking, high, high, high things. Well, you know, I've just come through through experience and through a higher level of education and research to know that. And Paul said there are there's strongholds. There's arguments. And there's high and lofty, elevated reason and rationalization that actually opposes. Not only God's reality, but God's ways and his will as being accurate. He, he said that the weapon you've been given, its, its power is found in the application when we are using it to, to demolish. When we're using it to take thoughts captive and bring them into obedience to Christ. I mean, there's this verse, and it's a very, um, it's a very thought-provoking verse because it, it causes you to, 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 to really address the areas of the heart. But Jesus says in Luke, I believe it's 646, he, he says, um, question, why do you keep calling me Lord, but you don't do anything that I say? It's actually a pretty good question. Hey, wh- why is it that you keep calling me? You, you've made it your status on all of your social media platforms and it's the banner that you, why do you keep saying that I'm the Lord of your life? Why do you keep saying that I'm the master? I'm the, I'm the Lord, but, but when it comes to who's really the boss, it's not me, it's you. You know an area where I think we, we disconnect this? I think we disconnect this right here in our thinking. Why is it that we, we feel like we can make Jesus the Lord of our life, but the area of our thoughts that's, I mean, that's, that's off limits to him. And, and so we live like, and we, we think like, I can think whatever I want to think because that's just me and my thoughts and not stop to say, hold on, Jesus. If you're the Lord of my life, you have to be Lord of my thinking too. That means that the thoughts that I think, I'm actually not the boss and I don't get to decide what thoughts should dwell and live and take up residence here, you're the boss. Which is why why Paul says the application of this weapon is to bring thoughts 
into obedience to, to, to Jesus. James chapter 1, verse 15, uh, 14 through 15, James says this. He, he says, uh, but each one is tempted, pause real quick, because I have been a youth pastor for a very long time and because a lot of these verses I know from be, be, being younger, um, for so long I've classified the word sin as temptation. I know this is going to sound silly, but in my mind is like sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Oh yeah, sin that's sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And that's kind of this whole area over here. Temptation, yeah, that's when you're drawn over here. But, but sin, sin is missing the mark. That's all it is. So all sin is, is just missing the mark. God said, this is my standard right here. Not just of behavior and conduct, but of thinking. This is my standard of, of how, how, how you should think about and process and view life in, in the world. And I tell you that because it, 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 it draws, draws the point. Why is it that I feel like, well, yeah, Jesus, like you're definitely the boss when it comes to this area over here. But when it comes to verses like Philippians 4, 6 through 7, that says, be anxious about nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, well, I get to be the boss there. He says each one is tempted drawn into something that doesn't line up with how God says it be, should be when he's drawn away by his own desires, by his own thoughts. Well, you know, I, I know what the Bible says, but I really feel like this and I think this. Yeah, I, I totally get you, Pastor Brandon, but I feel like and I think each one is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And listen to verse 15. And the Bible says this, but when desire has conceived, in other words, when that desire, when that feeling and thought, when you say, well, listen, I'm the boss, Jesus, and I'm definitely not going to go do this, that, or the other. But when it comes to my thinking, I'm the boss. And so I'm, I'm making the decision, this way of thinking, it's allowed to live here. When, when desire takes up residence, it conceives and gives birth to sin, to actually now a life or a pattern that misses God's standard and when it's full grown, it actually brings death. Why, why does sin matter? Because the Bible says that sin always leads to death, and hurt and pain. The wages of sin is hurt. It's and because God wants us to have life, God has given us a standard. And the Bible says that when we bring our thoughts into alignment with God's standard, that's when our patterns begin to come into alignment with, with, with God's standard. The, the battle we are in is a battle of thinking. And we have to first make the decision, Jesus, you're not just the Lord of my life, you're the Lord of my thoughts. But how in the world do I do, I do that though? I heard a pastor named Jimmy, Jimmy Evans, he said this, he said, you can't get rid of a thought. I'll prove it to you. Nobody right now think about pink bunnies. Can't do it. You're thinking about pink bunnies. I know you are. You can't just get rid of a thought, but Jimmy Evans says this, you can only replace it with a more powerful thought. You, you can't just get rid of it. You can only replace it with something that pushes it out of the way. And you can jot this down. Th uh, thought number two this morning is simply this, that it is God's word that is our spiritual weapon. Paul says, even though we're in the flesh, we're not battling like we're, like we're battling in the flesh. The, the war that we're in is not one of flesh and blood, but rather we have been given a weapon. And the weapon of our warfare, it's not just a book, but there is mighty supernatural power within it when we apply it to the appropriate area. And that is to bring our thinking into alignment. 
I want to read to you kind of a, a, a chunky version of scripture. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 17. Uh, b- bear with me because I really want you to catch the, the entirety of it. Uh, Paul is writing in Ephesians chapter 6, and I'll read it from the screen. Paul says this, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Rhetorical question, just to make sure we're, we're tracking. Whose might am I supposed to be strong in? Not my own. My, my strength is found in the power of his might. Now, he's going to say something two times. Repetition in the Bible always leads us to that's kind of an important thought. He says, and how you're going to be strong in the Lord is to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Verse, verse 12, for we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Verse 13, he says, therefore, here's the, here's the repetition, take up the whole armor of God that you may, you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Pause real quick. Paul says, you're going to have to be strong in the Lord. You cannot be strong in your own strength. You cannot be strong in your own might or your own ability. You're going to have to find strength in the Lord. Well, how do I do that? He says, by putting on the whole armor of God. By putting on the whole armor of God. And he actually repeats it twice. He says, by putting on the whole armor of God, so you may be able to withstand the attack of the enemy. I don't know about you, but I, I grew up in kids' church. Anybody else? Did you grow up in kids' church, going to kids' church? Like three people, super participation, great relevant example, totally nailing it. Um, I, I grew up in kids' church, and here, here's the two things I remember. I remember, number one, the candy bucket. I lived for that candy bucket. Watermelon Laffy Taffy, that's all that consumed my thinking on Sunday mornings is how am I going to get some more watermelon Laffy Taffy? I don't even think we're allowed to give that to kids anymore um, because of like teeth and health. And, but I, watermelon Laffy Taffy, I was all about it. And secondly, I remember about twice a year, we would do a lesson on the armor of God. A lesson on the armor of God. And what I remember from that lesson is two things. Number one, um, watching a grown man try to put on plastic armor from Lifeway Christian Bookstore that doesn't fit them. It's made for a six-year-old, but he's trying to put it on to demonstrate how we got to be strong in the Lord with the armor of God. And I, I, I remember being like this, is, like, this is so interesting to watch. And I also remember as first through fifth grader th- thinking, it doesn't make sense to me. There's a lot of things, if we're honest, that we can get excited about at church. And we're like, amen, preach, that's good. But in our mind, we're thinking, I don't actually know what that means. It sounds good, and, 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 and I like it. I don't really know what, what, what that means. And for me, that was the armor of God, because I would hear it and go, yeah, I, like, I get it if we were in like a real fight. Because, yeah, it would make sense. I, I grew up playing hockey for most of my growing up years, and it made sense to me. Yeah, I wear certain pads for certain areas for certain purposes, and that kind of makes sense to me. But the armor of God doesn't make sense to me. I don't know how I'm supposed to get up and put on imaginary armor. And even if I did, what, like, what good is that going to do? That seems like so, that's so weird. And I'm a pastor's kid and I grew up in church, but I just hate things that seem or feel, like that, that's weird. And, and until the Lord helped me to see that what the armor of God is, and we're going to read this in a second, 
But the armor of God, all it is, is thinking. God's armor, and I'm going to prove it to you here in just a second. The armor of God, all it is, is a thought. And hear me because this is important. A thought that comes by way of revelation from God's word. Information really won't help you. Information, that's not what we're after. We're after revelation. The word apocalypto, that's when, when God, through his power, opened your eyes to see the truth of something in a way that changes and transforms you. And the armor of God, all it is, is a thought. Each piece is a thought or a way of thinking that comes through revelation in God's word. I'll, I'll, I'll prove it to you. Back to Ephesians chapter 6. Um, I believe we are in uh, verse 14. So stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having, having a revelation from God's word that when it comes to truth, his word is truth, that, that the way that I view the world, the way that I view people, the way that I view myself, the way that I view what's happening in culture and society, the way that I view life is filtered through the truth of God's word. The breastplate of righteousness, it's the, it's the thought, it's the thinking through revelation, his word that and it doesn't matter what I have or haven't done, I've been declared right with God. And I know that my past is suspect. And I know that even my behavior maybe last month was suspect, but God, you said, that he who knew no sin became sin that I might become righteous before you. You said in Hebrews 10, 14, that by one sacrifice, I have forever been perfected, even though I'm still being made holy. You said in Romans 5, 1 through 2, that by faith, simply because I said yes to following you, that I have been declared right with you. I'm at peace with you. I have full access to, it's, it's the thought. The breastplate of righteousness, moving on to ver verse 15, we won't go through all of them, but having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The purpose of my life is no longer accumulating zeros in a bank account or chasing fame or chasing, no, the, the, the purpose of my life, it is now living for his purpose and that is to see heaven invade this earth and people come to know Jesus. This is not my home and all of a sudden my mind, my thinking is changed because I have, have revelation. We'll, 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 we'll do one more verse 17. And above all, taking the shield of faith, what is the shield of faith? The shield of faith is revelation in God's word that equips you to say, I don't care what the circumstance is. I don't care what the situation is. I don't care what I'm facing, what it looks like. My God has promised me that all of my needs will be met according to his riches and glory. My God has promised me that though a thousand may fall at my right and 10,000 at my left, it will not come near my dwelling for I have made the Lord my God, my refuge and my, all it is is thinking. It's thinking. Why? Because the battle is in our, it's in our thinking. Where the enemy is gonna attack you every single day is thinking. And the weapon we've been given to, to take every stronghold and every thought and every argument and every high lofty idea of culture, and the weapon we've been given to say, no, this is how I will think. The weapon we've been given to bring our thinking into obedience to Christ, it is the word of God. You can jot this down, third thought, and we'll, we'll close here. But, but if, 
if the battlefield is the mind and if God's word is our weapon, then spiritual warfare, it really is biblical meditation and declaration. That's another thing as a church kid that I was always weirded out by. Yeah, we got to do spiritual warfare. And I'd be like, eh, could I skip that part of camp? Could I? That sounds, but spiritual warfare, it's, it's simply biblical meditation and, and declaration. It's the, going back to the armor of God, it's the thought, the thinking that comes by way of revelation in God's word that I've been given delegated authority by Jesus. And because I've been given delegated authority and because life and death is in the power of my tongue, that my words matter. That I actually have the ability to take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And that when this thing gets in my heart and comes out of my mouth, that it actually makes a, makes a difference. A couple months ago, um, I don't remember when it was, to be honest, uh, but I, I was preaching at a, a Bible college in Virginia called Life Bible College. I was preaching at their chapel. And um, have you ever woke up before and for no apparent reason felt incredibly overwhelmed? Has this ever happened to you? Like you had a great night's sleep. You really enjoyed your dinner the night before. And for no apparent reason, you get up and I, I just had one of those mornings. I, I woke up and I became incredibly just overwhelmed. And the thing that I came, became overwhelmed with, which was kind of odd and it's how I know that it was a spiritual thing, um, was COVID-19 and everything happening in the world. And, and I say it's kind of odd because up until that point, I, I really didn't feel any fear, any anxiety. I just, I thought, no, I, I'm, I'm trusting God and we're, we're fine. But, but, but I woke up and became so overwhelmed. And, and I decided instead of going over my notes and preparing to preach at chapel that um, I wasn't going to wing it, but I felt like I got enough of God's word in my heart that I can, I, 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 I can share from, from, from the Bible and I can do, do the sermon but I feel like what I really need to do is, is, is I need to go meditate in Psalm 91. And, and I took, I don't know, maybe 30 minutes, maybe an hour. I don't really remember, but I took a portion of time and I read the 16 verses in Psalm 91 over and over and over and over again. And I didn't just read it like, you know, some religious repetition, but I, I turned some worship music on and I walked around the little hotel room that I was staying in, and I just, I just read it out loud to myself. And, and as I read it out loud to myself, I would stop and I would thank God. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. God, I'm making a decision this morning that I'm, I'm coming and I'm putting my life and the life of my family under your covering of protection. I will say of the Lord, verse two, he is my refuge. He is my fortress, my God, and him will I trust. God, I'm, I'm making a declaration this morning. God, you're my refuge. I don't know about this and I don't know about that, but God, I do know that you, I'm making you, and I just, I went through every verse and I, I prayed, I thought about it. I allowed God to, again, by way of revelation, I could have just read it and I could have just got some information. Well, you know, the Bible says in Psalm 91 that if you'll make him your, your refuge, that he'll protect you. What does that mean though? I just, it's good. You should read it. Information's fine, but I need revelation. And so I'm not reading the Bible to get smarter. I'm not reading the Bible so I become more religiously educated. I'm reading the Bible because I don't know about you, but I'm desperate for God. 
And I need the Holy Spirit to take this word and explode it in my heart in a way that it doesn't matter what someone says or does. You cannot convince me otherwise because it's revelation. I remember getting to this part in verse 10 where it says, No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. And in their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. And all of a sudden, something exploded in my heart that was not human produced, but it was God produced, and that is confidence. And what I didn't realize then, but I can recognize now, is what God was doing is God was, he was putting in my hand the shield of faith as my thinking was being changed. He was placing in my hands the shield of faith that all of a sudden this confidence that it, it didn't matter what lie or what fear or what, what anxious thought the enemy would try to throw my way, there was this confidence that said, no, I know God has made a promise that even though it may be all around me, it shall not come nigh my dwelling place. I, I, I'm, I'm, no, I'm not going to worry or stress because today I have a confidence that God, even though I'm not there, you are with my children. And in your hand, you're holding them up. You've given your angels charge over them so they don't even dash their foot against a, it was the shield of faith that came by what? Way of revelation. Spiritual warfare and how we win this battle in our thinking, in our mind, how we live in freedom, it is not by self-will or determination, but it is by you and I making a decision that I am going to take God's word I'm going to fill my heart with it. I'm going to take God's word. And I'm going to saturate my mind and my heart to the point that it gets so deep inside of my heart that out of the abundance of my heart, my, my mouth speaks. And that when the lie of the enemy comes, when that temptation comes that I've been dealing with for 25 years, that the word of God would spring up in me and take that thought captive and make it obedient to, to Christ. I was recently, and we'll end right here, I was recently in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Um, I've heard it referred to as the Myrtle Beach of the Mountains. And um, I was recently in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, and we were in downtown, and we were, we were with some, some pastor friends of ours that we were spending some time with. And um, both of our wives wanted to go in this little Christian knickknack store. Um, I don't know what all that was in there because I didn't go in there, but I'm imagining it was things that you hang above your toilet that talk about Jesus and are related to Bible verses. And um, we're just hanging out outside. And my, my friend who's, who's a pastor, he said, man, I hate these stores. I said, are you even allowed to say that? You're a pastor. How can you hate a Christian establishment? It's like saying you don't like Chick-fil-A. It's not godly. And, and he, he goes, well, okay, I don't hate him. But here, he's, here, here's what I hate. He said, I hate this idea that so many people have that the power of God's word is found in proximity. Like if I hang the Lord as my shepherd above my toilet, like that makes a difference. Because it doesn't. Like having a sticky note on my mirror with my favorite Bible verse that I actually have never memorized or put in my heart is gonna make a difference. Like just because there's a Bible in my backpack and I take it to school, like that's gonna make a difference. The power of God's word is not in proximity. Power of God's word is not in cliche sayings and scriptures that we 
post on social media and hang in our house and get tattoos of. The power of God's word is only found when it gets inside of our heart. The power of God's word really only happens. Jesus said, blessed are those who, who hear and who, who do my will. The transformative power in God's word is found when we get this word inside of our heart. The word meditate is not like Eastern meditation where maybe you would, you know, think of someone sitting Indian style, making a weird hand motion, humming. That's not biblical. Biblical meditation is simply muttering. It's rehearsing God's word to the point that it becomes a part of you. Taking God's word and rehearsing it. There's one more verse I want to read to you. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6 through 7. God is talking to his people, which by the way, we are his people. He says, and these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. These words which I command you today, they shall be on your mirror as motivation and an awesome Instagram post. Now these words of mine that I'm commanding you today, they really only matter if they're in your heart. I heard someone say one time, they said, well, I'm not good at memorizing scripture. And I said, you're a liar. No, no, I'm not. Prove it to you. Turn on your favorite band and watch how you rehearse those lyrics. You have no problem with memorization. You have no problem with, with biblical memorization. You have a problem with biblical meditation because you, you can meditate all day long on that new album and you like, like clockwork. These words of mine, they, they shall be in your heart. And listen to this verse seven. And you shall teach them diligently unto your children. And you shall talk of them. Talk of them. You shall mutter them. You shall meditate. You shall talk of them. When you're sitting in your house, when you're walking by the way, when you're lying down, when you rise up. I heard Pastor Jimmy Evans, he said this. He said, if you look at that verse, you can maybe apply it to today by saying, you should be giving your eyes and your heart attention to God's word when you're going to bed at night, when you get up in the morning, when you're getting in the car on your way to work or school or class, wherever you're going, and when you're sitting around doing absolutely nothing. Have you ever been in a a service before, listened to a sermon, and, and it's like when you hear something, you get punched right in the gut because you know it's true, but you don't want it to be true? I heard Pastor Jimmy Evans say that, and I thought the Holy Spirit speaks so clearly. You're a solid one out of three. But he was right. Because I'll just be vulnerable enough to say that for so long, my routine is I'm either going to watch a show or I'm going to watch a game, most likely the Lakers, God's most holy chosen team. I'm going to be watching sports, and I'm going to go to bed. And here's my one out of four. I'll get up in the morning, and I'm going to spend time with God. But then I'm going to get in my car, and I'm probably already thinking about the meeting I have to go to, the email that I need to respond to, and all of a sudden I'm just I'm 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 I'm, I'm rehearsing my day. And then I get back in the car to go back from work, and now I'm just rehearsing what just happened. And I'm thinking about I can't believe they said that, and what what why this and why that, and and then when I'm lounging around my house doing absolutely nothing. I know this applies to nobody but me, but bear with me. I'm scrolling things like social media. And um, that was a joke, by the way, because I think that applies to pretty much everybody. Um, I love it when jokes land. Um, <clears throat> but, 
but I'm scrolling social media, I'm checking scores, and, and I feel like the Holy Spirit's whisper, that's why you're getting your butt kicked in some areas. That's why there's some areas you can't break free from. That's why there's some areas where you're stuck. You're like stuck, stuck. Because you, yeah, you spend time with me, but I commanded my people, I commanded you, I gave you a blues clues by saying, if, if you like put my word in your thinking and your heart before you go to bed at night, even if it's just a scripture, if you'll get up in the morning and maybe you don't have 30 minutes or an hour, but you'll take five minutes to grab the verse of the day and to be, be meditating that. And if when, you, when you get in the car, if you can resist the urge to push buttons right away and turn, if you could maybe just spend time with me. When, when you're lounging around the house, maybe instead of always just going to mind-numbing activities that do nothing to edify your soul, maybe taking more time to think about and read and what would happen if the power of God's word actually got in our heart? What would happen if the supernatural power of God's word became something that we were actually putting our mind and our attention and meditating? I, I, I'll tell you what happened. That thing would become so real in you that when the enemy comes to try to snag you, snare you, hold you, something would rise up and you would find the supernatural power of God. Remember, we're, we're supposed to be strong in the Lord. And all of a sudden, I'd have the ability to end the power of God's might. So no, 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 no. God, you said in Psalms that no unclean thing shall come before my eye and the meditation of my heart would be pure before you. I'm taking this thought captive and saying, God, I will not think like this. I'm not going to that website. I'm, I'm, I'm not putting my thinking in this. God, I'm, I'm going to set my thinking on. When fear starts creeping in, you know, God, you said that I should be anxious for nothing. You said, I don't have to worry or care about anything, but I'm to cast all of my cares upon you for you care for me. So God, I just thank. And all of a sudden, God's word, so present in our hearts, is more than sufficient, more than enough to win the war of our, our thinking. I don't know about you, I don't want to. I don't want to just know that I'm free. I want to actually be free. I don't just want to know that I've been set free. I want to actually live a life of freedom, a life that is sustainable, that I'm not just free for a week after a summer camp or a conference, but I'm free for the rest of my life. Why? Because my thinking has been changed and transformed by the power of God's word. Can we pray together? God, I thank you today that as I have been speaking, preaching this word, that God, you're speaking to hearts. I don't, I don't know where, where each one is, but I ask you today that in the name of Jesus, you would take what you're saying to them and in a way that only you can, you'd make it so real in their heart. God, I pray today that you would rise up in us this passion, not for religious Bible reading, but, but for a focus and attention that's renewed on getting your word in our heart getting the power of your word in our heart. Lord, I pray today for anyone who feels stuck, anyone who feels like they are in some sort of bondage or, or pattern, that in the name of Jesus, by revelation of the Holy Spirit, they would be set free today. And you give them a hunger for your word to meditate and to get it within them, that they would not only be free, but they would live in freedom. 
everything you're already doing. Thank you that you're continuing it in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name. for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.